Welcome to episode 73 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. You know, I love getting feedback from listeners, so if you want to get in touch with me or want to tell me how much you're enjoying the podcast, you can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website where you can leave comments or send a message at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or Google Music or whatever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, consider leaving a comment or rating. My guests this week are Miles Cohen and Stephen Lafreniere of Mad Power. Mad Power is an arts organization dedicated to the encouragement of artistic achievement and the protection of the rights of psychiatric survivors. Why don't why don't we start with uh, what you guys are doing? We've got uh, Stephen Lafreniere, Miles Cohen. Mm-hmm. What is what's the project? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, the company itself is uh, called Mad Power Theater, mm-hmm. which is uh, Miles's brainchild, and he asked me to come on board and uh, help uh, put it together. So Miles is a prolific writer, and he'll talk about that. But he has a lot of plays that he mm-hmm. wants to produce. Okay. So I had already been working on a piece and an idea of Pentalone um, auditioning for King Lear. Okay. And uh, so uh, because I have um, an older brother and a mother who's entered dementia and I'm their guardian now, they're both in long-term care, so I wanted to play with the idea of uh, Pentalone uh, on the verge of full onset mm-hmm. dementia, wanting to hang on to his faculty so mm-hmm. he proves himself by auditioning for King Lear. So while Miles and I were talking about the the, the production, he had um, his show, El Magnifico, Too Dumb to Stay Down. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we decided that would make a good introduction uh, to to the company. Mm-hmm. Um, I would co-direct his piece and he would direct my piece and then we would help each other in terms of that. So we'd present two solo pieces uh, okay. that would sort of give an idea of the kind of styles that we have sure. and present the company. Um, but Miles can talk about the background of what germinated Mad Power. Yeah, I wanna, I'd love to hear about that. What's the... What's, what's well, the... Um, okay, um, okay, I'm a psychiatric survivor. And uh, I, I remember one time, that means I, I've been diagnosed with mental illness, and, and they call it survivor because it, it's kind of laughingly, but seriously saying you survived the psychiatric system. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And I, I remember one doctor, uh, when I was hospitalized a few years ago, says, I don't like you calling it a survivor. That implies we're trying to kill you. And I said, well, that'd be fine if you guys would stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, that's tongue-in-cheek. But, I mean, there's a great deal to be said for the psychiatric system. Um, and there's a great deal of flaws. And, and a lot of people suffer hugely. And some people die, maybe not as the result of the system or the system not being... Um, it's in a state of evolution, you know, considering that people were chained against a wall 100 years ago, mm-hmm. and now, you know, there's significant growth. So, um, anyways, I, um, I was 
first trained as a, as a, as a mime and I had a BA in theater and, uh, and I went to professional acting school and then in, and I worked for a couple of years but in the middle of my training uh, for professional acting school I, I suffered a breakdown and I was brought back to Montreal eventually after walking around um, with two garbage bags, you know, dropping out of my friends, driving them crazy like I was becoming. And I was hospitalized in uh, Montreal General, diagnosed schizophrenic right away. And, um, and then later in my 30s, I, I like to say I was... I was paroled or, or got a lesser sentence of bipolar mm-hmm. and then even lesser sentence of OCD with um, possibly manic episodes. So I've been in and out of hospital for 40 years, but I've also pursued a career. Uh, I've done solo mime shows, I, I've worked for Second City Touring Company, um, I've, I've done a fair amount of theatre and, uh, and somehow managed never never to be taken away in the middle of a show. Mm. No. <laughs> Once in a hiatus at Second City, which it would be Second City, mm. we, I was with a touring company. Um, we had a hiatus for six weeks, and by the time we got back, I was, you know, on my way somewhere, you know, to another galaxy. And, and I said, please take me to the Clark. And they said, are you sure we can work this out? I said, no, you can't, trust mm. me. So that's the only time. But other than that, I've been able navigate a career mm-hmm. you know as a mime as a clown mm-hmm. and uh, in theater now I had a significantly horrific e- episode about 25 years ago which I did is dealt with in some of my plays where I jumped off a bridge broke my back in three places and ended up in a group home and and everybody was ready to put me in a nursing home until uh, my friend, now my wife, took me to this genius in Oakville of a psychiatrist, and he said, oh, no, no, not a nursing home, this guy can heal. So it then became an odyssey of 10 years of healing, never thinking I'd ever get back on stage, but then there's Workman Arts, which I don't know if you're familiar I'm with. Not, not. Workman Arts is part of CAMH, a psychiatric nurse named Lisa Brown 30 years ago, um, Notice how well people felt after they had like um, little performances for each other mm-hmm. on the ward. So she started Workman Arts mm-hmm. and is now a thriving arts um, company, uh, fine arts acting in, in, in Toronto with 300 members. Um, we have a film festival every year called Rendezvous with Madness. Uh, I got sent to Amsterdam in a play, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So my occupational therapist said, oh, you should try Workman Arts after about 10 years of healing. I joined. Much to my surprise, I was back on stage. Mm. Much to my surprise, I was teaching again. Mm. I was the last one to, to figure this would happen. <laughs> so then after a while, I, I started writing my experiences and to make a long story, even uh, a short story, even longer than I'm making it, um, I got the idea of starting my own company, and Steve and I had worked together many times uh, before my jump and even after my jump. Mm-hmm. I was in the group home. He wheeled me out to the backyard and said, please have a look at my clown show. <laughs> and, I, you know, that may seem like a mean thing to do, but that's the nicest thing you could do to somebody. Mm. 
What was even nicer said, wow, you really helped me. Mm, So then I thought, oh, maybe there's some hope for this dawdling guy after Mm. all. But never did I think he'd get back on stage. Anyway, so then eventually after serving on the board at Workman and doing shows, etc., etc., I started to burgeon out with my writing and I said, okay, uh, I'm going to make the leap, uh, the other leap. And, um, And I contacted Steve he said, as he said, help me with Pantalone. Every time I work with you, it works out well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, oh, my life has worked out great too, Steve. No, but, but it's like, um, but then we got the idea of, of a company, and I thought, mad power, I liked it. Yeah. Kind of a, an assertive form of psychiatric survivor. Mm. You know, saying, saying, you know, like, one of the problems is the system tends to infantilize people. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not a fault, but you can... You have to empower people. So our mandate would be to empower people through the arts and to do professional work and, and to train survivors professionally or, and do outreach and stuff like that. Hence, Mad Power, uh, not the Southland, the South Ontario gave birth to Mad Power, not the Blues. Mm. So that's it. Mm. I, guess, I guess that's the end of the interview. No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, question that, that, that I just... You know, I know, I've known Stephen for a number of years, so I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to Stephen in a little bit. But sure. uh, I'm curious about, uh, were you always writing, or is that a relatively recent? Well, thing? I try, you know, I tried to write before I got sick, and you know, it wasn't really interesting. Mm. You know, I didn't have anything to say. <laughs> mm. Then I tried to write while I was sick, and it was even unintelligible. Mm. But the combination of recovering and mm. writing. Proved to be very. Actually, my doctor, Dr. Bhattacharya, he was so wise and kind. He let me email him first ideas, thoughts, and I'd say to him, "Did you look at these things?" And my wife would say, "Oh, Miles, he, he pushes the delete button." <laughs> <laughs> you know, because he's got patients. You know, course, they, they yeah. send him all manic patients and all kinds of stuff. Dr. Bhattacharya said, "No, no, I don't push the delete button," and he kept he kept commenting on my work. Like I read essays about psychology, essays about this, short stories. And then finally one time I sent him a play and uh, he said, email me back. He usually didn't email me back. He would tell me in the next session. But he emailed me back and said, Miles, this is good. Mm. And then in the next session he said, um, you know, uh, one thing, theater, film, TV, the, 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 the linchpin is, is a good script. Mm-hmm. So yeah. just keep churning them out, yeah. and I started to, and then, and then thanks to Workman getting me back on stage, uh, and I and I workshopped some of the work, and I, I swear, you know, I, I did not expect this at all, mm. and and so now, yeah, now I'm, so no, I know I was always writing, but it wasn't very good, except as a as a kid, like all kids, yeah. we had a real to real. Tape recorder, mm-hmm. and I produced my own comedy shows. Mm-hmm. You know, which well, my brothers would come and erase it right away. Well, <laughs> they were probably recording music on that. What's that? They were re- probably recording music on that. <laughs> no, they they were math and physics guys. Oh, you know, okay, so okay. I'm I'm the, I am the black sheep of sort of speak of the family. Were you always a performer, or is there something that you can remember that that made you want to do it? Um, okay, I mean, bluntly, I had a reading and writing disability as a child. Uh, and I, I seemed precocious in my words, but um, I, when I stared at a page 
all I could do was think of making jokes about it. Mm -hmm. Like like most comics would say, yeah. you know, my mother used to wave her finger at me when I left for school and said, behave, you're not the class clown. Mm -hmm. So after I did my first clown show, years later, <laughs> I, I, she came backstage, she said, Miles, that was so good. I said, now, who's not the class clown? <laughs> but yeah, I was always making jokes. Like most comics would say, because they had some problem in school. Mm -hmm. And also, um, there was a lot of hardship in my family, and, and, and we looked to each other uh, to make each other laugh, mm. you know. Mm. And that was the, the, the being the Joker made you want to do theater? Well, yeah, actually, well, no, I, I, got the, I actually got the idea. I, I went into university in a first year in psychology. Mm -hmm. Now, I, that's ironic. <laughs> I found it was so, and I won't use a, a pejorative word. No, I'm not going to. I didn't like psychology at all. And, but they had a really good drama department because they, they just built a centennial theater, like a million-dollar complex, and a wonderful man who's passed away, David Rittenhouse, was starting a program, and I kind of jump-shifted into drama, and that sort of started it. Nice. So nice. It, was, yeah. it was always an idea of people and how they tick, mm -hmm. but I felt much more comfortable in the... In the theatrical side. Mm -hmm. Stephen, you're you're talking about the 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 Pantalone piece that, mm -hmm. that you you're working on. Now, Commedia dell'arte is something that you've been doing for a long time, mm -hmm. and it's a passion of yours. Yes. Uh, you've all Pantalone as far as long as I've known you, Pantalone has been your character. Is is that? Has that always been the case for you? No, I'm actually uh, a natural Tartaglia. Who mm -hmm. um, Tartaglia? I can't give the original word, but Tartaglia, the name, uh, comes from an old Italian word meaning to stutter. Mm -hmm. So Tartaglia is a social uh, incompetent. Mm -hmm. uh, so he uh, verbally stutters, he emotionally stutters, he physically stutters. Mm -hmm. So that is my natural character because when I was younger, I couldn't talk to people, mm -hmm. um, especially when I became a teenager. I, I certainly couldn't function socially with anybody. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm a natural Tartaglia. As I got older, uh, because my clown as well is a Tartaglia-like clown, mm -hmm. um, who always wants to do well but can't get it going, right. just can't get it done. And, uh, and finally does something, even if it's not the actual trick that he's trying to do. And then when we created Fool's Gold, um, with uh, David Langwell from Metaphysical Theatre created Fool's Gold, mm -hmm. he asked me to be part of the original cast to put the show together. Um, Tartaglia, I was cast as Tartaglia, who's going to be uh, an apothecary, mm -hmm. um, giving a potion to Isabella so that she could pretend she was dead. Right. Very much like a Romeo and Juliet thing. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Tartaglia got written out of the show uh, because we, we just couldn't get the character to to work and right. it was all the improvs were going in a different direction mm -hmm. with me so then uh, David and I talked and he wanted to give me a chance to be Pantalone and I wanted a chance to play Pantalone so I started to play Pantalone about well we put the show together in May 2000 so it's been 17 years mm -hmm. that I've been doing Pantalone but Tartaglia I've been doing probably about 40 
Mm-hmm. Do you get a, an opportunity to do tar- Tartaglia very often? Yeah, when I do, uh, when I do, you know, the the corporate gigs, mm-hmm. um, I usually go as Tartaglia. Okay. Sometimes as Pantaloni, but mostly as Tartaglia. Mm-hmm. Um, I found this beautiful old photograph, uh, not photograph, but drawing of uh, Tartaglia, mm-hmm. who's actually an extension of the Doctor. Um, so he's more of a mm-hmm. white collar okay. worker. Um, he's very efficient when he's alone, but when he's with people, he can't function. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I try to play Tartaglia for those things. He interacts with the uh, with the clients a lot better, mm-hmm. um, and like I say, a lot of my routines come out of come out of Tartaglia. Right. Yeah. Um, when did performing become a thing for you? Well, performing became a thing for me when I was uh, seventeen or eighteen, and mostly linked to the fact that because I couldn't function. I wanted to function, mm-hmm. I, and I wanted to do something in the arts. Uh, I was originally going to be a priest, mm-hmm. and so I was wanting to go into the seminary. Right. So when I was a kid, apparently, I used to walk along uh, the aisle imitating the priest. So I would actually walk around the church pretending to be incensing people, mm-hmm. and I used to do little play masses with my uh, brothers and sisters when I was mm-hmm. a kid. So I was always uh, doing uh, things that blend myself to performing mm-hmm. so I wanted to started out wanting to be a playwright to right. playwriting uh, but couldn't get anything written so I decided to take acting to get a technical perspective of, of writing mm-hmm. so I could know what stage left stage right was and then I discovered that mm-hmm. I was starting to come alive a bit and coming out of my shell yeah. uh, but I still didn't like talking to people socially mm-hmm. and I saw somebody doing mime and it clicked for me that if I could express myself and still not have to talk to people, mm-hmm. that'd be really cool. Okay. So I made up my mind because I'm a stubborn guy at heart, uh, just like, okay, I'm going to be a mime. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I met Christopher Newton uh, when he was doing um, the Count of Monte Cristo at the Vancouver Playhouse, where okay. I was living at the time. And he, um, somebody introduced me to him, and I said, yeah, I want to be a mime. He said, oh, you have to go to Paris and study at Jacques Lecoq School. So I went to Ecole Jacques Lecoq, mm-hmm. got kicked out, came back, finished my studies in Toronto. Uh, when you got, did you get kicked out for misbehavior? Did you get kicked no, out? No, you for... don't get kicked out for misbehavior at, at Lecoq. They, um, uh, by that time, a lot of the, the, the mind technique aspect of what he had been teaching previous years, mm-hmm. because he was con- in constant evolution as a teacher in the mm-hmm. school, um, they were starting to drop a lot of the mime and illusionary uh, practice mm-hmm. out of it. Um, and I wanted to specialize in mime. So at the end of your first term, the three months, you have this audience with Lecoq, and he says, uh, yes, no, go away, you can stay. And he said, well, in these three months, nobody, the teachers don't think they know you. Some teachers think you're great for the school, and other teachers don't think you're going to make it. Mm. So what do you want to do? And... Uh, so I told him of mine, and he said, go talk to the other teachers, and we'll see what they say. So I talked to the other teachers, and they said, well, we're not a mime school. So if you're wanting to be a mime, mm. you're in the wrong school. Mm. We're, we're not going to train you to be a mime. And in, in those days, Lecoq, I think the school was not wanting anybody to necessarily specialize in any one thing. Okay. So that's why I, I left the mm. school. And then I reapplied. I applied. Applied to go to the crew. I applied to go to Barnum and Bailey, mm-hmm. um, in different schools. And then I found the Mind School Unlimited, which was he- here in Toronto, mm-hmm. and uh, and Ron East uh, accepted my application. Mm-hmm. And I liked that because I could apprentice to join the company, okay. which I wanted to do. 
Whereas uh, Teatro Omnibus, a brilliant mime company, uh, said, yeah, no, you'll have to study for five, six, seven years before we'd even look at you. Right. Barnum and Bailey weren't taking foreign students at the time because um, you had to accept a two-year contract if they liked you. Right. And so they didn't want to have to deal with immigration. Right, of course. Yeah. So, but now they do accept Canadians uh, mm. and foreigners. So I settled on Ron School mm. and then just progressed from there. So when did you decide, because, you know, mime, you you did you did the mime for a while, but then mm-hmm. at a certain point you, you found your voice on stage. I found my voice on stage mm-hmm. uh, largely uh, through teaching because okay. I had equal vocations of wanting to teach mm-hmm. and wanting to, uh, uh, very similar to one of the reasons why I like that power and the whole concept mm-hmm. is because when I was young I was told yeah forget it you're not going to be able to do this right so I wanted to take music he said no you'll never be able to play music the music teacher so when I started to teach I wanted to show young people that Mm -hmm. no you already have something inside you and I was persistent and I was stubborn so um, so I'm going off track a little bit that's all right yeah But essentially, uh, through teaching, I found my voice, mm-hmm. and I found my comfort level in front of people. Right. But I still won't. I still can't function socially, mm. right? And, and I think you. We've worked together for the last few years. Right. I think you've noticed even on tour and stuff that I'm not really the guy who hangs out in the restaurant and chats everybody up. No, no, and no stuff no. like that. I'm, I'm not. I'm not that. I'm like <laughs> the show finishes. Exactly. I'll, I'll make my appearance, and then right. after about like ten minutes, be like, I'm right. Done my thing. I can go yes, now. Absolutely. So yeah. on stage, I can perform. Yeah. Uh, as a teacher, I can interact. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm in control of those two aspects. Right. So uh, in a social environment, I'm not. Mm-hmm. So I can't function still. Um, you're probably the first person who I've spoken to who, who uh, instead of going, who wanted to be, who is considering a career as a priest. Mm-hmm. Was that was that a Catholic priest? Was that yes? Uh, okay, and uh, it's it's interesting that you were considering to me a, a, a career as a priest, um, as somebody who because uh, you have to talk to people as a priest. You have to talk. Well, the thing is, is that when I was when I was a kid and going into high school, which is when the crisis really happened. Mm-hmm. Um, like I say, I was more than willing to to talk to people about about God mm-hmm. and about the church. Uh, and my mom was very devout Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we said family rosary every night. Mm-hmm. We went to church every week. So uh, she did everything to encourage me mm-hmm. uh, to be able to do that. And I had people who taught me to be a, a good altar boy, taught me right. Latin, and they yeah. were going to coach me on how to be a priest mm-hmm. eventually. Um, so it's... Um, Again, I think it's that that spiritual connection uh, to the vocation of teaching right. that connects me to the performance sure. for it. So I think being raised uh, spiritually devout, even though I'm no longer a Christian, mm-hmm. um, that devoutness is still there. Yeah. That faith is still there, and that allows you to find your voice. Yeah, yeah. When did when did you and Miles meet? I well, the very first time I honestly can't remember uh, because. I had heard about Miles in the mime school because mm-hmm. Miles had gone to the Canadian mime school. Ron had taught at the Canadian mime school, and Dave Langlois had um, attended that. Mm-hmm. So Dave became an instructor with Ron at Ron's school. Mm-hmm. 
so I'd heard about Miles throughout that school year. That's in, we're back in 79, 80. Mm-hmm. Um, so somewhere in the early 80s, Miles and I met. And then um, we, uh, and that's around the time we actually started working together because I was doing my first serious mind play mm-hmm. um, at Joseph Workman because Joseph Workman, uh, when they were at uh, the Queen Street facility, would give you their theater for free and let you rehearse there, but you had to allow uh, clients to attend anytime mm-hmm. they wanted. So that's, so I asked Miles to direct, to co, well, I said assistant director. He ended up being co-director, even though he never got the credit in the, in the thing, because I was performing in the piece. It was a right. three-person piece. And I realized I wasn't going to be able to direct an act. So I needed Miles to be able to come in and, and help mm-hmm. help save the show and get it up. Uh, and then just occasionally over the years, uh, because mm-hmm. when he said he sort of helped, helped me do the clown show, mm-hmm. my clown is not a clown that does a trick uh, like I tried juggling just never got to be the spectacular guy to do it um, but Miles looked at what I wanted to do uh, which was story tell uh, the Sleeping Beauty story mm. to kids and he said fine 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 and he just totally dismantled everything I did mm-hmm. and just from scratch said okay you're going to tell a story so let's just go with that and so he like completely reshaped mm. how my clown operated because after that my clown didn't I wasn't a clown that did a trick couldn't do it couldn't do it boom does it spectacularly mm-hmm. uh, he's a storytelling clown right um, and then as the years went on I got more interested in mask work and I started leaving clown behind mm-hmm. and then in mime even though you know you can talk in mime there's uses for voice uh, in that play I did with Miles mm-hmm. uh, helping uh, directing uh, we use short bursts of poetic dialogue right. within the show uh, so I started then getting more interested in, in mask work and, uh, and, and taught for a while. So I actually haven't performed any serious mime probably in 15, mm. 20 years almost. Mm. Um, and uh, Keystone's work, uh, the silent movie yeah. image, is, is as close to sort of the pantomic work that I used to do right. as, as I've gotten in a long time. Yeah. And, and, and it was very, that's why it was very exciting to work with you and, and, and Keystone. Yeah. Because uh, it, it's a wonderful form of theater and it puts me back in touch with that right. thing. But I grew very tired of the illusion and the myths, even though I'd spent most of my teaching trying to smash that myth. Yeah. Uh, you can't, it just won't break out of the people's minds. Right. So, uh, and, and the other thing is, I was creating pieces way too big for my ability to produce. Okay. So I've never written solo stuff. I have like two solo pieces in 40 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pantaloni will be like maybe the third or fourth solo right. thing. So I was writing for five, six, seven cast members, mm-hmm. ten yeah. uh, really large pieces. Uh, and that's one of the reasons our mime company, my mime company didn't get off its feet mm-hmm. is because we just financially couldn't produce the kind of projects I wanted to do. Right. So I had to find another direction to go. It's interesting what what... Uh, the limitation of saying to yourself, this is a piece for one person can force you into. Like mm-hmm. the limitation, mm-hmm. I mean, there are limitations to theater, budgetary and everything else. But the more limitations you put on, you're forced to be more uh, creative and to, to get to the point where you're like, all right, this is only one person does yes. this. And then you have to create the thing. 
and it's even it, it, for mine in particular, it, it appears to go even deeper than that in the sense that when I was realizing, you know, look, I'm never going to write solo stuff, mm -hmm. but there's no reason why I can't do a solo show. And mm -hmm. so I asked Miles and I asked a few other mimes, um, can you write something for me? So mm -hmm. I figured, well, people have writers write things for them all yeah. the time, so do actors, so why not as a mime? And one of the feedback reactions I got was, yeah, great. I and then after a while I was like, no, because see, I write for myself. Right. These are personalized things. Right. I don't think I can write for you. I found that a very strange, at the time, very strange predicament mm -hmm. to be in. Um, and so I found myself just trying to follow formats of other guys. Um, like one of them, uh, Bob Berkey, is a wonderful clown, mm -hmm. a famous American clown. And I saw his one-man show. And a lot of it was, was talking to kids about mime. And so in trying to balance performing mm -hmm. mime and, and just wanting to demonstrate it, um, I came up with a show called The Mind Who Couldn't Be Silenced. And right. it was a solo show where I talked to the kids about mime, where I showed them illusions and mm. wowed them for those few seconds. And then the two solo pieces I had, I worked them into the show and then a bit of mask. So mm. I managed to come up with a one-person show, but it was like borrowing and stealing from different elements as well as having my own thing. This pantalone piece that you're working on now, is that something that you wrote? Is it... Is it uh... Yeah, it's it's created by myself. Miles has been watching it and going, okay, well, you know, I think it needs to go here. Or right. you know, one of the great, one of the really nice things about working with Miles is uh, he listens and, and for him it's like, well, this is what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. You do. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm hearing. And then his mind works wonderfully in the sense that it just like breaks up and he goes, well, you can go here, and then he'll just start going in that direction. You can go here and just start going in that direction. Mm -hmm. And so we'll have to go in those directions. Right. And from what he makes me do, I go, oh, and it occurs to me what what I want to do. Right. So uh, so I am creating it myself, but is completely guided by by what Miles has has seen. And uh, and Miles, your your piece. Can you tell me a little bit about about that? Sure. Um, <clears throat> um, well, I I got the idea of a, a clown magician called El Magnifico a few years ago, and I typed it up. And um, I, I I won't I can't give a spoiler, but anyways, because of like um, it sort of had political overtones. Mm -hmm. And I got this idea of a clown magician whose patter gets him in trouble with the authorities and he gets jailed and he goes on a journey and stuff like that to get the world on his side. And, um, so, and then, um, as I was starting, I went to Steve and said, here's the idea. He said, oh, he likes it. And, and I liked it too. And as I started to, to finish writing it, I realized this clown is magician is very similar to my clown that I discovered at mime school. My clown was a, a very much an intellectual clown. Uh, I, call, I call him Blitz. People thought it was a funny thing. It was supposed to be Blitzkrieg. Mm -hmm. Like he comes on and just assaults the audience yeah. with sound and fury. But he, he, he was the philosophical gladiator mm -hmm. because um, Philosophy, like Steve, and ideas were always important to me, and I liked the idea of seeing how they took shape theatrically. So I, I devised his first trick was 
the leap of faith, mm -hmm. where um, at, in the mime school there was this balcony at the back when we did our, our final piece. I scurried up there, stood on the banister, and said to the, all the other clowns, I'm going to perform the leap of faith. I'm a philosophical gladiator. I show ideas. And all the other clowns uh, gather with their blankets and suitcases to catch me. And, and I think the legend has it I jumped, but I didn't. That's the apocryphal story I heard. I know. I didn't. Well, I think what I might have done was shimmy over and shimmy down a bit and then drop a little bit. Mm -hmm. But no, I hear, I've heard it repeated that I jumped. And, and, it, and it kind of blew people's mind because later on I jumped off a bridge. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, but... Um, and his next idea, uh, uh, some clowns invited me to do a show in Cranbrook where they were starting Arate, which is a, a group came out of our, our school year. And he got the idea that he would become an enlightened being in front of the audience mm -hmm. so that everybody could see it, it'd be recorded, and everybody would know now how to become enlightened. Like, and he knew he was going to take the leap. He didn't know how, but he was going to do it, and it would be a gift to humanity. So everybody would go out, and they'd have the secret, you know, once he did it. Of course, he failed miserably, but he came to the conclusion that um, if you don't think you're enlightened, which I'm not, he kind of convinced himself he was enlightened because he didn't think he was enlightened, which all the great masters do, and, and he sort of, that's who he got out and mm -hmm. So then, so then the, I suddenly realized El Magnifico was an intellectual clown, and I hadn't done clown since before my jump. So I turned it into Blitz, and, and it worked. So now it's it's the it's the it's the return of Blitz, my clown, to the stage. Nice. Um, now you guys are performing this weekend. Uh, is it this weekend? Yes, Friday night. Friday, Friday night. Friday night. Um, which of course will be too late for anybody listening to this. But I mean, this is not. This is like the start of Mad Power. Yes. So, what can we look forward to uh, from Mad Power moving forward? Well, one of the things we did was uh, we put together a five-year plan that mm -hmm. um, of productions because, like I say, Miles is prolific. He's got uh, a lot of plays, a lot mm -hmm. of things he wants to produce. So, um, later on uh, in May, we're doing a play reading of his play. Uh, Ken and Abel, mm -hmm. which we're going to produce in August. Um, so we have the Palmerston Theatre. Nice. We're going to do that. In the fall, uh, we're doing uh, a workshop, like Pantalone Magnifico are, is a workshop presentation of these mm -hmm. two pieces in progress, which we're hoping to market to as our two-person show. And then the next two-person show is uh, it's called It's Your Fault, about two activist clowns on the eve of their execution in mm -hmm. an unnamed country uh, argue over whose philosophy got them into the jam. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that comes out of, again, the intellectual idea of the philosophies uh, of, of conflicting how you how do you solve world crises. Mm -hmm. so there's the activist says revolution at any cost and the, the activist says no rule of law and patience and social change. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Miles has uh, Dream a Little Dream and For All You Do, which he can talk about, which we're going to do in, um, in 2018, mm. as well as a summer school for, uh, for young psychiatrics. Nice. Uh, so you can talk about Dream a Little Dream um, is um, 
is basically you, you find um, he's been he's he's a he's a social dissident. Like he's um, he's been arrested, you know, on purpose as some, you know, in the idea of um, uh, to to gain notice to his cause. He's in jail. He's an older man, and uh, and as it comes out. Like people, his lawyer visits him, visits him, and says, "What are you doing?" He starts to dream while he's in jail, and you find out through his dreams that his wife died in an automobile accident a while ago uh, as a result of him driving while intoxicated. So she visits him, and she's a dancer. She talks to him in his dreams, and he asks her, like. Like, why am I doing this? What is I mean? Because everybody's saying to him, "Oh, you're just compensating for your guilt." Mm-hmm. He says, "No, I don't feel guilty. I believe in this, you know." So his wife brings some people who represent parts of society mm-hmm. in this dream, and then at a, and and then he has a dialogue with the the guard who who's watching him, mm-hmm. um, and at the end he comes to peace with what he's doing, and. Uh, and ask the guard to bring him notes and paper because he, he's going to write it down. Mm-hmm. And and in the last dream, she comes and he says, and she says, "Well, I, you won't need me now for a while. And uh, will we ever see each other again? Well, maybe. Who knows? You know." And she that dream thing ends when he comes to peace with who he is. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, so yeah, and and the guard, of course, not to again spoiler has specific things in his background that relate to some of the things going on with the, the guy. Okay. And it's, it, but it, it, it sort of came out of Bill C-51 when it was first proposed because he's, he's jailed without due process. Right, yeah. So that, and nowadays, God, it's, it's a huge issue, you know. It's, yeah, and, yeah. Um, for for Mad Power, um, how long did it take you guys to go from we want to work together to like coming up with a five five year plan? Well, we started seriously talking about the company because uh, Miles asked me to help with a grant, sort of co-signed for a grant, like a year. Oh yeah, ago I, for I, had, yeah, yeah. I had another piece called For All You Do, mm-hmm. which is about a guy who jumps and is in hospital, sort of semi-autobiographical. He fights with a nurse who's like my wife figure, and it has a heart attack. Goes up to heaven, gets some lessons, mm-hmm. comes back, and uh, and I applied for an Ontario Arts Council grant with Steve's help because I'm, I'm I'm functionally useless for that kind of thing, and we didn't get the grant. But then I don't know somehow we we just kept talking over yeah, the last uh, every year time or we so. work together yeah. it does well. And we've done other things. We we did something for Wimis. Uh, oh, that's uh, great, Mag, yeah. We, every time Steve, yeah. Steve and I worked periodically over the years, and we always enjoyed it, and the mm. piece always turned out well. Mm. So it was kind of like, hmm, hmm. You know, it's like, well, uh, what's the obvious solution? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in August, or not August, uh, I guess October, we started talking about working on Pantalonia and El Magnifico oh, and yeah. starting the company. And 
one of the things I did when I started Graphic Mime Theatre back in 85 was uh, I had a business manager who wasn't an actor, wasn't an artist, and we came up with a five-year plan. We had five-year budgets we had, mm-hmm. and that impressed a lot of business people who were looking to donate to the company. Right. And so I said to Miles, well, you have all these plays. We should organize and find out exactly, you know, what do we want to do over the next few years? Mm-hmm. Um and part of the key to Mad Power is it also has um, a self-progression element that as people come in to the satellite of it, mm-hmm. um, it'll go off in another direction, visual arts, film arts, music. So that'll be, um, that'll happen just as it happens. Mm-hmm. But the core is Miles' work, right. uh, production of Miles' work mm-hmm. and, and teaching. It's so mm. we decided we'd do the five-year plan. So between I, I October think also and though, I think yeah. like Steve, well, Steve is like um, he, he may have started as somebody difficult to communicate, but he's huge <laughs> as a, as a performer. Like he's he's I've always been a loudmouth and that you know he's crafted mm-hmm. himself into something really huge and, and solid and um, and I guess I'm like you know a, a frizzing thing that flies all around the room but can be solid but it's just it's a perfect balance you know mm-hmm. and um, and I re- and I respect what like Steve has crafted himself into like when he does pantalone he's got the strength and size and and, and I'm I, I've never really talked to him about his background you know he's, he's I I, um, a lot of this by surprise. I wouldn't I wouldn't have I, I, something's interesting to me but um but anyway, there's a really good balance, mm. you know, and um, it, it's also, I think we also believe philosophically, um, I mean, okay, not that, you know, um, Hollywood, Bollywood, anything was ever always knocking at the door, mm-hmm. but we never actively pursued um, anything other than the integrity of our, of our work, mm. and he's got that in spades and we just you know there's no fights there's no fuss there's no ego mm. well there's almost no ego very little it, and 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 I've got the acting it, it just it's a wonderful um, it's a wonderful union you know like um, and anybody in this business we all know we've worked with people we'd rather forget you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> but well, well and I think that's the key is that uh, like for me the admiration is watching Miles' mind work mm-hmm. and just the prolificness of, of how the ideas come and formulate and uh, I get very lost when my mind goes that way mm-hmm. and so I need to sort of say it and then plan it out and mm-hmm. and stay with it so I think we complement each other in that I can be an anchor because mm-hmm. Miles and I will talk about all these dream ideas and then uh, and then I'll go, all right, but what are we going to do? Right. When are we going to do it? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the struggle is like sort of the, that push and pull with each other. Yeah, we'll uh, have a meeting and I'll, I'll go, and then we just, and then we just, and two years, and that, and Steve will go, great, Miles, what are we doing today? What are we doing now? <laughs> yes. I said, no, no, but 50,000 years from now, dinosaurs will look like us because we did this and that. That's great, Miles. What, and it's always yeah. back, you know, the mantra, the, right. it's like the meditation. What are we doing today? Mm-hmm. And it works very well. And we're also really, I feel, kind to each other, mm-hmm. you know, and very respectful of each other's talents. 
That's really important. Yeah. It sounds like you guys work uh, work well together, and uh, uh, you're recognizing that that when you work together, something yeah. kind of magical happens, which is a, which yeah. is a great thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and it absolutely does. Especially because I don't think we look for it. Mm-hmm. I think we just get together and start mm-hmm. doing it. You know. Yeah. What's interesting yeah. is you were saying some of the things that, that, that Stephen was saying about you know, his background, they're a surprise to you. And what's interesting is that's one of the reasons why I do this podcast is because mm-hmm. um, we don't ask each other these questions. Yeah. We don't. We've, I mean, there that's are so true. many people that I've spoken to. We work together as, as right. performers, creators, and we don't say, so So why do you do yeah. this? Yeah. Right. Which yes. is a fascinating yes. topic right. to start at. So why do you do this? Which is right. Um, are you guys, uh, is... Uh, uh, Mad Power, do you have a web presence? Do you have uh... not oh, yet? Okay. Uh, we're, that's sort of the uh, the next step. Uh, mm-hmm. We're looking to uh, we're talking about incorporating by the end of mm-hmm. April. April. That'll yeah. happen when it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, social media and and a web presence. Uh, and Miles is connected to guys who really do that well. Cool. And really well. Yeah, and that. also that's so. a little bit my fault because. <laughs> your fault, my fault. This is the opposite of your fault. Yeah. This is now it's my fault. No, it's my fault. You know, Chip and Dale, right? No, it's like um, Steve said. Okay, let's go. Let's get let's get the Facebook page. And I went, whoa, whoa. I've dreamed about something like that for years. Mm-hmm. Like having, um, like I've got essays, I've got poetry, and then other people's essays. Other, pe- I, I would want to construct something. That that was you know like you know the size of a, a, of a galaxy, but but I didn't want to set up a, a Facebook page or a website till it had all those things, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know, maybe maybe that's just holding it too precious. But when it, we will do it, probably at the same time we incorporate. Yeah. But I hope for it to have all those interesting functions, mm-hmm. and also I'd like it to have an element of membership. Because I feel very strongly as an advocate mm-hmm. for for change, mm. as as mental illness being protected under the Charter of Rights as a, as a minority, and things like the media will say, "Oh, a crazy guy blew this guy's head off." Right. But if you talk to a, a psychiatrist, he'll say, "People with mental illness do not commit more violent crimes." Yeah. For instance. Or if you go in now for a job interview and you say, "Oh, this is my background," and they say, "Oh, you can't, you can't have the job," and you can say it's because of your back right. minority background, they're less likely to to say for it to be pursued as human rights if they find out you have a mental illness. Right. But the fact is, I'm sure, I know for a fact, there are people in every level of society with mental illnesses. Captains of industry, mm-hmm. captains of police, captains yeah. of, and they can't come out in in a sense. Yeah, because, and also I think it leads to a lot more suffering, and even like in any minority that can't express itself, it leads to suicide. Yeah. So the whole thing, my dream, maybe not my lifetime, is eventually it all comes out. I think there are a lot. There are people like advocating for that, like to to stop. Yeah. With the mental illness being something that we don't talk about, or that we sweep under the under the mm-hmm. under the rug, because um, if I if I have a cold, I'm not ashamed of it. If I have if I'm sick, or if I break my leg, I'm not I'm not ashamed of it. But right. if I have a mental illness, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
I don't talk about it or people treat me differently. But it's a thing, you know, that, that you can the, live with and that you can, that, that you can be treated for. And, yeah. yeah. other thing is that there, it, it's not entirely um, a negative factor. Like, mm-hmm. it can mean you have an ex- a hugely expansive mind. Exactly, yeah. And, and the cliche they always say is uh, Winston Churchill was bipolar. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they say, oh, can a mental patient have a gun? Oh, no, but he can have the yeah. biggest fighting arsenal <laughs> yeah. ever known to mankind at his disposal. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and then they, and then Gandhi was depressed, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and then they say Mackenzie King, uh, you don't know if it's an illness, talked seances with his mother and ran the country that way. Yes, yeah. And, uh, and I have a friend who um, has something called the Hearing Voices Cafe, mm-hmm. which I participated in at one point, and uh, I found out that 60% of the people in the world who hear voices are quite happy with them mm-hmm. and don't consider it a pathology. Mm. Now, some do. It's awful. Yeah. But some say, oh, no, I like my voices. They help me. They guide me. Yeah. And, and so there's a whole aspect of mental illness that we haven't investigated. I, I'm not sugarcoating it. It's, no, no. It, yeah, it's yeah, awful. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's not necessarily as negative a thing as we think of it and it certainly is a negative it, it, if you hold it down and nail it down yeah. and, and, and it's not spoken of. Well, the media has, has portrayed mental illness in some pretty horrific ways um, in its history. Television, film are full of examples of quote-unquote crazy that's dangerous right. or to be feared and that's not the case. Yes. Right. Well, and I think another aspect of of the dilemma is that mental illness, when associated with art, is often associated with genius. Mm-hmm. So uh, we point to genius artists, whether it's Jackson Pollock mm-hmm. or or, or uh, uh, Robin Williams, yeah. who is brilliant, even though he had suffered from depression for years. So we go, oh yeah, if you're mentally ill and you're brilliant. But the fact is that one of the targets of mad power Mm -hmm. is to produce professional work on a 